This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Looking to invest? Start your journey by exploring exchange traded funds with Global X ETFs. Exchange traded funds, or ETFs for short, create baskets of stocks, bonds, and other assets that you can buy in a single trade. Global X specializes in ETFs that track emerging trends, like the rise of artificial intelligence, as well as strategies aimed to generate income potential. Visit GlobalXETFs.com to discover how you can get started. Political campaigns have long had data on you. They've known about your home address, your phone number, how often you vote. But in the past few election cycles, voter data has gotten even more personal and even more invasive. Starting in the early 2000s, campaigns began doing something called micro-targeting. They used granular data about voters, stuff like their purchase histories, their magazine subscriptions, even the cars they drive, to target people who'd likely support their candidate. And this practice has become more common with every cycle. The 2020 election could up the data game even more because campaigns are increasingly learning a new thing about you, your location. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. Today on the show, how political groups are using apps on your phone to figure out where you are and how they'll use that information in 2020. It's Wednesday, October 16th. Emily Glazer covers tech, money, and politics. And a few months ago, she and her colleagues learned about a surprising tactic being used by an up-and-comer in American politics, Beto O'Rourke, who at the time was running for Senate. Yeah, so this was in Austin, Texas, September 2018. So this is about two months before the midterm elections in a fierce, fierce Senate race. If you were paying attention to politics at all, you probably heard Beto O'Rourke's name then. He was running against uh, the incumbent, Ted Cruz, and it was really a question of whether a Democrat could win the Texas Senate race. And in September, there was this big rally event in Austin, Texas, which is a liberal hub, and Willie Nelson ended up coming in. Yeah, Chris, Willie Nelson is on stage right now. It's quite loud out here. There's lots of people here. And Willie Nelson, you know, he's got like this white and black Beto shirt. Beto and Willie even sang together. On the road again, like a band gypsies, we go down the highway. We're the best of friends. How many people were at this rally? I think it was around 50,000 people. Wow. Yeah, it was packed. It was a free Austin concert. So also it's like, who doesn't want to go somewhere for free? Who doesn't want to see this like rising star on the Senate stage, this Democrat who may win the election? And then of course, like who doesn't want to see Willie Nelson? I'm sure there's some people who don't want to hear Willie Nelson, but we can uh, (laughs) set that aside. Let's not go there, okay? The music was free, but Emily later learned some people in the crowd were giving something up. They were giving the O'Rourke campaign their location. Unbeknownst to them, there was this company that actually had geofenced this event. Geofencing is a technique where essentially a invisible line is drawn around a place, an event, um, or even just like a certain square mileage area. And it captures the mobile phone data of people who are within that area. 
So in other words, they put this kind of digital tracker out there to figure out a way to better get in touch with them later on. Some of the people at the rally would have later gotten emails from O'Rourke's campaign. They might have seen Beto ads online. Or they could have gotten a call reminding them to vote. All because one night they went to see Willie Nelson. Now, this isn't totally a new practice. Big companies, whether retailers or auto dealerships, have used geofencing for quite some time. And it was a way to figure out how to get your customers to spend more money with you or how to get your competitors' customers to spend with you, among other reasons. So let's say, Kate, you're in a mall and you go to Macy's and you buy a pair of shoes there or something. Could happen. What might be happening is that perhaps Nordstrom's or Bloomingdale's or JCPenney has geofenced that mall, and they might be able to see that you are in that space. So they might send an ad onto your phone like, hey, next time you're there, here's a coupon for our store. When you say send an ad, how would that appear on my phone? One that might be super common is like a banner ad. So let's say you are either on a certain application and you see that little like vertical Mm -hmm. banner pop up across the top. So that's one common way. Got it. And all of this is like totally legal. Right. So they get my mobile phone identifier number and Mm -hmm. out there in, in the digital ad realm, in your example, Nordstrom or JCPenney or Bloomingdale's is like, oh, we want to hit shoppers in this mall and they like serve up Mm -hmm. an ad to me on Candy Crush. A hundred percent. And the other thing to keep in mind here is they might not know that you are Kate Linebaugh. They might just have your mobile phone identifier number. To be clear, your mobile identifier number isn't your phone number. It's a separate anonymized number, kind of like your IP address, but for your phone. So JCPenney, for example, may know I'm at the mall and may learn I'm shopping with their competitor because some apps on my phone could be pinging out my location. And all sorts of apps do this all the time. Free texting apps, gaming apps, medical apps. In Wall Street Journal testing, even the app for the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center shared location data. And do I have to give permission at some point for apps to be able to do this? So this is kind of what's interesting. You may have already without realizing it. Because when you download certain apps in the fine print, it might say, we are going to do something like this. Then the question is, though, who's really reading the fine print? So a lot of them do have disclosures on it. Uh, it just really isn't clear to the to the user. All these apps want to share my location because there's a market for that information. The companies making money serving us all these shoe ads are what Emily calls ad tech companies. They're the ones who build this technology. And recently, they thought of new ways to use it. The way that I heard about it from folks was that in recent years, these companies have realized that political groups could be using this type of strategy. And while they don't think it will make as much money for them as, say, you know, a big retailer or an auto dealership or consumer products company, they realize that it is an entirely new revenue stream. This is like that, but for politics. Okay, so while 
Beto and Willie are harmonizing about on the road again. <laughs> Thousands of people who are inside of this imaginary geofence. They have their phones on and their apps are pinging out their locations. How does the O'Rourke campaign end up with this data? So what happened in this case of the Beto rally is that a company initially geofenced that rally, unbeknownst even to the campaign, you know, because like anyone can do it, right? You're just geofencing. No one really knows if it's happening or not. So companies are doing this all the time. This company down the line reaches out to a Beto O'Rourke Senate campaign consulting firm, and they say something along the lines of, hey, guys, we actually geofence this event, and we have all these mobile phone identifiers. Are you interested in this? Would you want to do, like, something with this experimental, newish technique in this fiercely competitive Senate race where every vote matters? And the campaign consulting firm is like, yeah, why not? Let's check this out. This deal was not quite as good as it sounds for the O'Rourke campaign. What this geofencing company was offering were mobile phone IDs. These are ostensibly anonymous IDs. All that they tell you, at least at first, is that this phone was at this rally. They don't tell you who owns the phone, and they usually aren't sent along with your phone number or email. But the O'Rourke campaign found out that stuff anyway with the help of a company that can match those mobile IDs with people's contact information. Something called a voter file. This has been going on for ages in politics. Voter files are very common on the left and on the right. In fact, if you're running a campaign, it's weird if you don't have a voter file. It's basically getting information from state election offices or other groups on people who have registered to vote, and they've put in their information, like your name, your address, your gender, your date of birth. What's becoming more common is that companies will layer on other information that they can buy about these voters, such as your shopping habits, what magazines you subscribe to, what clubs you belong to. For O'Rourke's campaign, those voter files were key. By getting a company to crunch and cross-reference the geofencing data, the campaign was ultimately able to find out the contact information of some attendees, stuff like emails and phone numbers. And from there, they reached out to people where they were able to do all that matching and then targeted them, whether it was trying to figure out if they would donate or even, like, join their email list. And so it kind of came full circle. O'Rourke ended up losing his Senate bid. And so far, at least, his presidential campaign said it hasn't used geofencing. But the rally was a proof of concept. As someone who worked on the Senate campaign told Emily, it's just a neat idea, and it worked. What else this neat idea can do? And why it means you might want to turn your phone off in church? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time. No design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer-made templates or generate something in seconds with AI. Then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match 
with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back. Geofencing a political rally is one thing. But as Emily says, anyone can put up a geofence anywhere. And increasingly, that's what's happening. In your story, there was a group called Catholic Vote. Can you talk about what Catholic Vote has done? Yes. So this group called Catholic Vote, it's a conservative advocacy group that also in the 2018 midterm election basically drew on information from, you know, mobile apps to identify people. They were using this information to target around 600,000 people with ads for five different Senate races, and those races were mostly in the Midwest. And in this case, they were targeting folks who had set foot in Catholic churches at least twice within 60 days. And they assign them a so-called religious intensity score based on the frequency of their visits. And do you do it by geofencing churches? Yeah, exactly. So they geofenced specific ones that were in areas where these Senate races were happening. Geofencing churches allowed Catholic vote to collect thousands of phone IDs. And the group used that data to target voters from several Midwestern swing states during the midterms. For example, there was a race in Missouri, and they were in support of the Republican Josh Hawley for U.S. Senate. They would then use the mobile phone information they had to target ads to people's mobile phones. And in these ads said that the Democrat Claire McCaskill, who they were opposing, was, quote, anti-Catholic. So essentially, they were identifying Catholic voters who had a certain religious intensity and targeting them to try to rally votes against the Democrat. Correct. Hmm. And Holly won. And one thing that I found fascinating was Brian Birch, president of Catholic Vote, told my colleague Patience that in the future, he hopes to use geofencing to figure out which volunteers they should send to visit which homes, to ultimately see if they can have that person who's knocking on your door be someone you know. And are the churches okay with this? Not the ones uh, that Patience spoke with a number of bishops, <laughs> and they were disturbed. One of them, Bishop Michael Warfell of the Diocese of Great Falls Billings in Montana. He even said he was going to talk to his pastors and the people that attend his church and basically tell them to turn their cell phone off when they go to church. He just found it really inappropriate. And it's not just bishops who might think it's inappropriate. It's voters. People are already worried about the amount of data the companies have on them and the intimacy of that data which means political geofencing runs a real risk of backfiring, and campaigns know it. Democrats especially have been the party that's been this proponent of privacy, right, and security, and, you know, making sure your digital assets are well cared for. And I think they want to make sure they're not seen as hypocrites, that, you know, they're doing things that people might not know about. A lot of the folks that I spoke with on the left really 
were not excited about me calling them and really didn't want this coming out. They were nervous about how it would look. But even if they're nervous about geofencing, they aren't ruling it out either. A political strategist who has worked on both campaigns for Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton named Justin Miller said it really well. He said, I would gladly trade job security for more privacy, but since we don't have it, I'll keep building models. Meaning? It's basically like saying, are you going to participate in the game and, you know, use the same tools as everybody else? Or are you going to sit out and just twiddle your thumbs while people use these strategies and likely beat you in elections? In these really tight races, geofencing could be the difference between winners and losers. Because it lets campaigns surgically target their get-out-the-vote efforts to focus on the people who are most likely to vote and to vote for their candidate. And geofencing might have already made that difference. So just last month in September, President Trump held a rally in Fayetteville, North Carolina, right before a special election that was going to happen there. It was at the Crown Expo Center, and there were roughly 7,000 people inside. And this Republican Political Action Committee, or PAC, called the Committee to Defend the President, geofenced that rally. And they were looking for people to basically target with ads to get them to the polls the next day. And this was a super tight race. Our great Republican candidate, Dan Bishop, will fight with everything he has to stop sanctuary cities and defend the people of this great state. Dan, come on up. Dan Bishop, everyone, get out and vote. The Republican Dan Bishop won by just about 3,800 votes. You know, it's one of those, like, every vote matters. And so that's an instance where, you know, if you are have the ability to geofence an event with thousands of people and then target them with ads to try to get them to the polls, like, that might really matter. And the chair of the Committee to Defend the President, like, they feel really good about it and they're excited to do it more in the run-up to 2020. I mean, I think campaigns want to use every tool in the toolbox, right? I mean, it's, and and like you just said, this, this race in North Carolina got down to 3,800 votes, like every vote matters. And so these kinds of techniques to target people who you think can go your way will be so important. A hundred percent. And the toolbox has now gotten super digital. So it's stuff that we can't even like see and feel anymore. It's stuff that we might not even know is happening, but it is, and it's impacting us as voters. If this episode made you wonder how to limit access to your location on your cell phone, you can find a step-by-step guide at on.wsj.com slash geo. That's on.wsj.com slash geo. That's all for today, Wednesday, October 16th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Sam Schechner and Patience Hagen for their reporting. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.